0: Last Sunday, we pointed out three principles that can help us understand the Christian relationship to money and wealth. First, God owns it all. Second, uh, we don't really own what we think is ours. Second, God is a generous God. He gives us all good gifts to his children. What we have comes from him. The third principle brings these things together. We're called to be good stewards of what has been given to us by God. Our possessions, our wealth, our abilities, our energy, our ambition. Jesus Christ challenges us to place our trust in him and to set our hearts on treasures in heaven and not on earth. How can we learn to serve God rather than mammon? How can we store up treasures in heaven? How can we gain Release from the the powerful tug of money and selfish ambition in our hearts. I closed last week's sermon with an introduction to one of the most powerful ways we can exercise wise stewardship while learning to love God rather than mammon. It is the act of giving. I have titled today's sermon, The Power and Adventure of Giving. I will attempt to answer three questions. Why should we give? How should we give? And what is the fruit of our giving? Why should we give? I want to mention three reasons in this part of the sermon when I use the word give or giving, I'm really meaning it in a broad sense of hospitality, generosity, uh, uh, openness, receiving. Why should we give? I'll mention three reasons. In this part of the sermon, I've already told you about that. Okay. First, our giving reflects the image of God. God is a giving God. The Apostle Paul, writing to the early Christians in Rome, said, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all... How will he not also, along with him, get graciously give us all things? Moses said to the new nation of Israel, The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the land he swore to your forefathers to give you. Jesus said in John three sixteen, and I did not know that was going to be on the bulletin this morning, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We have been created in God's image. Admittedly, the image of God we reflect is distorted by sin and self-centeredness, just like a badly cracked mirror. However, through the redemption offered through Jesus Christ, we are called to be imitators of God to reflect his image. God is love. We love because he first loved us. God is an extravagant giver. We give because he has first given to us. Second, our giving is a part of following Jesus Christ. In the gospel reading this morning, Jesus is standing and watching people give as they entered the temple. Now, there are many things that Jesus could have been doing that, that moment. I mean, he could have been preaching another sermon. He could have been finding somebody to heal. Uh, He could have been arguing with, with the Pharisees. What did he do? He found a place and he stood and he watched people giving. He deliberately took a position to do that. This is the Jesus whom we come to worship this morning. This is the Jesus whose death on the cross we remember in the Eucharist later in our worship. This is the Jesus whom we say we follow as his disciples. This Jesus is in our midst this morning and he's watching how we give. Our giving is important to him. Third, giving blesses our lives. You heard read this morning Whoever sows, sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Jesus said in Luke six thirty eight, Give and it shall be given to you a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. To me, the most emotional and moving passage in the Scripture is in Acts 20, where the Apostle Paul is saying goodbye to the elders of the church in Ephesus after he had been there for three years in ministry. He recounts his three-year ministry. He warns and encourages them. He describes how he gave himself in ministry, and did not take anything from them. And he closes by quoting Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I'll be honest. Over the years, this phrase has kind of left me cold. It seems kind of wimpy. You know, if I drop off a few cans of vegetables at the local soup kitchen, I'll get some warm fuzzies when I leave. It's so much better to give than receive. (laughs) I feel so much better. I don't feel quite so guilty when I've got something and someone else doesn't have so much. Uh, When I say that your giving blesses your life, I'm not saying that your giving will provide some warm, fuzzy feelings. I'm not saying that you will somehow find release from some low-grade sense of guilt. No, it goes deeper than that. It's more profound than that. It's solid. It's foundational. Something happens in your person, in your heart. And it becomes the bedrock of your character when you give. Psalm 1 describes the character and success of a life lived on the basis of God's word, God's way, God's wisdom part of this wise way of giving of living is giving you will be like a tree planted by the water yielding much fruit not withering and prospering the people of the church of the incarnation are giving people you're generous and you're open and you're warm and you're hospitable I could tell stories. We all have experienced that, I think. God is blessing me through your gifts of hospitality and warm acceptance. It's a great blessing to me to be a part of such a group of giving people. Giving makes us better people, giving is an integral part of our well being. Giving produces shalom. Don't, don't If you don't know what that word means, ask Aubrey. So in summary, when we give, we reflect the image of God. When we give, we are following Jesus Christ. And when we give, we are profoundly blessed. Now, I want to take a turn more toward the how of giving. The focus of the first part of this sermon was on the broad meaning of giving, generosity, hospitality, sharing. In contrast... This part of the sermon will focus more on the narrow sense of how we give our money. So, how should we give our money? The Bible teaches us that we start with a tithe. In the Old Testament, a tithe is the first 10% of your crops and your flocks. It was used to support the priesthood and the temple and as a part of the support for the poor. The tithe was 10% off the top the first fruits the tithe already belonged to god he laid claim on this portion of their produce the the prophet malachi boldly confronted the people of his time he accused them of robbing god when they did not give the tithe the tithe is god's already if they didn't give it they were stealing what is his I think the tithe is a good starting point for the Christian today. Now, I suppose I've heard all the objections to the tithe. My first version of this sermon had about five or six, but I've got it down to two or three, okay? For example, we live under the grace of the New Testament. The tithe is legalistic. Certainly, you could look at the tithe as legalistic. You could say to yourself, the preacher says I should tithe. I'll do it, but I don't really like it. It messes up my budget. But, okay, here it is, God. I hope you're now happy. When our kids were little, they were fighting over something they both wanted. Now, our daughter is two years older than our son. And she knew her Bible having grown up with very wonderful godly parents. So she says to her brother, Jesus says gives, so give me. (laughs) To this objection, I say, nice try, but it doesn't fly. Jesus affirmed the tithe in Matthew 23... Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth even of the spices you have, but you have neglected the more important matters of law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. I think the legalistic objection to the tithe is confusing the why and the how. The concept of the tithe helps us with the how, not the why. It gives us a wonderful sense of the starting point in our giving, the starting point in God's economy. The Christian's motivation to give is not based on legalism. I've heard some people say, I give a lot of time at my church and other service. I don't need to give so much money. I say, give me a break. Uh, Let me tell you something. Look across this congregation this morning. The people who step up and volunteer and give a lot of time and service, they're the same people who give the most money. I know, because I'm the treasurer of the church. Finally, I cannot afford to tithe. I'm barely making ends meet as it is. There's just not enough money to go around. I have to pay my bills, you know. God understands my situation. He knows I need to take care of my family first. I say this is not an objection. It's an excuse. If you wait for the right time and circumstances, that time will never come to begin to tithe. After the sermon last Sunday, someone in our church shared a story with me. He had come to faith in the middle part of his life. He began to hear about this concept of the tithe and eventually was convicted that he should do so. He swallowed hard and he wrote out a check to his church for 10% of his paycheck. It was a very scary thing to do because he wasn't making ends meet as it was. What happened? Somehow, at the end of that first month, he told me he had money left over. To this day, he doesn't know quite how this happened. From that point on, he has never failed to tithe and more, and God has blessed his life abundantly. I have heard this story, if not just one time, I have heard it a hundred times. I'm telling you. To the bottom of my heart, I believe that God will help you with the other 90% if you give him his tithe. The prophet Malachi says, test me in this. The only place in the Bible, God says, test me. See if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. Esther and I, that's my wife, Esther and I made the commitment to tithe on the first day of our marriage. We have been through good times and bad times. But we have given the tithe and God has blessed us. Let me say something else. To make that commitment up front is very freeing. You don't have to spend emotional energy thinking about whether you're going to give this month or not. In your mind, it isn't yours and it's already going out the door. In Malachi, God also says to those who test him with the tithe, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit. The implication is, if you withhold your tithe, God has his ways of taking it from you. I don't have any way of proving this, but I strongly suspect this happens in our lives more often than we suspect illness, setbacks, lost opportunities, unhappiness, so-called bad luck you name it according to statistics, the average church member in the United States gives about 3% of their income based on this, I've heard fairly often this following plan if you're not tithing 10% this year make a commitment to up at 1% and then the following year another percent Till you reach ten, I guess this is better than nothing. It's okay as far as it goes, but my response is, why are you doing this to yourself? Now, think about when you get into a pool and it's a little cold, too cold for comfort. You step in up to your knees, and then you step a little further in up to here somewhere, and then up to your waist. And every time you do that, it's frigid and you're miserable. Even though the lower part of your body feels okay. So what's the best way to get into the pool? Kids, what's the best way to get into that cold pool? Jump in. After a few seconds, you'll feel just fine. I challenge you, don't take half measures. Don't say, I will give a half tithe this year. What? You want God to give you a half blessing? If you're not tithing at least 10%, I challenge you to take the plunge. Go all in. Test God and see if he won't bless you as he has blessed so many countless believers over the years. Who've taken God at his word. Now, what fruit do we reap when we tithe? When we sow abundantly, what fruit do we reap abundantly in our lives? First, God, tithing results in God's blessing. Now, I've already said a lot about that. I won't say any more. Second, tithing helps us put God first in our lives. I know of no better place to start really doing this than to begin to tithe. You are saying to God, all my money and possessions are yours. And this first 10% given to you says that I acknowledge that you have first place in my life. Then God can help you be a good steward of the other 90%. Tithing can help you fight against the pull of our materialistic culture. It can help you live by God's priorities and values. Third, tithing helps us learn to trust God. Some of you are struggling to make ends meet. You're facing bills that you're not sure how it will get paid. You are fearful of losing your job or you have just lost a job. You say, how can I tithe? I can't even make ends meet now. God doesn't say, give me a tenth only if you have a lot of grain and your flocks are large. He says, give me a tenth of what you have. Trust me for the rest. He says in Malachi, give me the tithe and I'll help you pay the bills. Jesus says, don't be anxious about the the bills you have for clothes and food. Seek me first and I'll supply your needs. How do you start to trust him? Begin by giving him his tenth. Have you heard the story about the pump and a well in the desert? There's a jug of water next to the pump. A traveler desperate for water comes by and he reads a sign. And here's what it says. Pour this water down the pump to prime the pump. So you can pump all the water you need and be sure at the end to fill this jug up for the next person. So what do you do? Here's a jug of water immediately available to preserve your life. If you pour it in the pump and no water comes up, you're dead. Do you drink the jug of water or do you pour out all the water you have in the hope that more will be available? That's the question you face with your money and and your tithe. Can you trust God enough to give him the only jug you have to receive what he has promised? there's another kind of person listening this morning your financial needs are pretty much met you have a good job and a pension fund you have money in the bank you have investments your challenge as a disciple of christ is how can i learn to trust god in plenty when i'm comfortable i challenge you to give a tithe a double tithe a triple tithe more By doing so, you're saying to God, I ultimately trust in you and not in my money. My security is in God and not treasures where moth and rust can corrupt. That day may come much sooner than any of us expect. In that day, you need to have learned how to trust in God and not in your riches. Everything I have said thus far... About giving and the tithe has to do with our relationship to God. We imitate God and follow Christ when we give. God will bless us if we give our tithes and offerings. Putting God first is part of the tithe. Learning to trust God comes from the tithe. I could stop here. But I'm not. These are the most important reasons for giving and tithing. But I want to change the focus and mention one last fruit of our tithe. our giving can change the world. Do you believe that? I do. I think that the church of the Incarnation can change the world. We can introduce people to Jesus and the Gospel. We can care for each other. We can feed the poor. We can do our part to reduce the impact of social ills in our society. We can support missions around the world. We can help start a new church plant. I pray we catch a huge vision of what God can do through the giving of our tithes and offerings to him. Now, I want to close with a story. Over over 25 years ago, Esther and I joined five other couples to start a church much like this one. The more I think about it, it was more like 30 years ago. We moved ahead quickly and we had a church building within three years. It's kind of like what we're doing here. We struggled financially for several years. At one time, we did not have enough money to pay the bills. I remember a Sunday night elders' meeting where we discussed how we were going to pay the electric bill. We were late and Georgia Power was about to turn off our lights. In that meeting, we discovered something else. We had not paid a monthly commitment we had made to support a foreign missionary. It was about April, and we hadn't sent any monthly support for the entire year. One of the elders spoke up and said, This is not right. We have a commitment to a missionary who is alone in another country and has no way to, for support and to make up this shortfall in her income. We have sinned against this sister, and it, it's not right what we're doing. We interrupted our discussion, and we dropped to our knees and we confessed. We decided to ask the treasurer to write a check for all her back support. It was all the money we had. The the treasurer wasn't all that happy to do it. Since he knew the, the power company's threat was real. But he sent the check the next morning, first thing. Now, guess what happened? The lights were cut off pastor resigned. The church closed its doors. No. No. Uh, the, the pastor to, told this story on Sunday morning. Uh, and God's people opened their wallets. The electric bill was paid. The pastor was paid. God continues to bless this church to this day. In fantastic ways. God honored this church's commitment to give first. The church went on to hire a fantastic youth minister and a gifted associate pastor. We have wonderful friends in that church who've come to know Christ uh, and relationship with him. Uh, The missionary continues to receive support. The church, this church started a faith promise missionary budget. Didn't put it in the general budget, but said, as God provides in faith promise, we will give to missions. Started off, I remember, $5,000 was given. 25 years later, this church gives 120000 in support of over 20 missionaries. When Esther and I attended a February missions conference a few years ago there, we learned that four of these missionaries were children of the church. Whom God had called into ministry. What an exciting thing to see. Why have all these wonderful things happened in this church? I think it goes back to that tough and faithful decision on that Sunday night 25 years ago. I was there and I still get emotional. We gave all we had to that missionary. And trusted God for the rest. <clears throat> now, I've not mentioned that we give because of the needs that we see around us. That's important, but more fundamental is that we give as a result of what is going on in our hearts. We don't give money to the church because the church needs money. Uh, by the way, it does. We give because of what is going on inside us. We give because of who we are and what kind of person we want to become. We give because we seek to follow Christ and we want to become more truly human in God's image. Then and only then can we look around us to observe the needs that should be met. Many of us need to wrestle with God this week about our attitude toward him and our money. Some of us may need to confess our smugness about our tithe and ask him to help us trust him with a whole new level of giving. Some of us may need to fall on our knees, repent of robbing God, and ask how we start to put him first. I pray that our lives will never be the same from this day forward. I challenge all of us at Incarnation to join in the great adventure of faithful giving. Let's pray.